Good morning. Thanks for being with us today in church. We've come to worship, uh, to bow down, right? Become, come before the Lord. And we're to come before him with singing and offerings. My old Irish mom used to say, I would never go to church without an offering. And uh, I think that's a sweet thing to say, but it's not just an envelope. It's our lives, to offer our lives, right? The great exchange is his life for our lives. So I invite you today, we're in the series about the parables from the Gospel of Luke, the aha moments, to open your Bibles to chapter 12 and verses 13 through 21. The story today that we're going to look at, the parable today we're going to look at, is a very simple parable, but it's very profound, carrying much weight. It's about a fellow that many Bible scholars simply call him the rich fool. Now, richness is... Uh, somewhat dependent upon circumstance. Maybe in your neighborhood you have the least expensive house and so you don't consider yourself rich. But globally speaking, you and I are part of the richest economic circumstance in the history of the world. We are the rich. So if you dismise you know, this, this sermon, this talk, and think, well, this is for somebody who lives up on the hill in Pepper Pike, or it's for somebody who has a name on their building but it's not for me, beware. And we are rich. Our wealth surrounds us and it invades our lives. It continuously causing us to pay close attention to it. We often have to look out for obtaining more of it and protecting what we have. As we hear the words of Christ today, we would be very much the fools if we did not take careful and examine our lives. See, a Christian is one of the constants of our lives is to examine our lives. That, that is a normal thing. And the manner by which we examine it is we take the word of God as the mirror and we put it in front of us and we see ourselves as God speaks to us through his word. This precious word that I hold is the word of God. And the words that Jesus speaks in this message and that John will speak and Paul will speak, these are the words that the Holy Spirit has given to us that we might be learners, disciples, all of our lives. So today, my, our prayer has been that you've come here to learn, but you've also come here to change. The doors of our church are our scanner, and it measures your spiritual condition in and out. You're probably not aware of that, right? <laughs> but in the back room, there's these lights that go off for some people. I hope that never happens. <laughs> but to walk into this building pretty much says, I am here to change. I'm not here to remain the same. I've come before God. I've come to come under his word and submit to it. And I've come to obey him by obedience, show him that I love him. The great commandment, of course, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And this is a tough story today for some. So let's begin. First of all, I want to go back to the Old Testament, to a principle that God laid down when Israel was being established. It's in Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. We're going to put it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But it's a scripture of, of, um, of warning. God says here, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. There it is. 
You see, there's the, they're gaining. God said he would bless them, and he would give to them, and he would prosper them. God promised them that he would be with them, that he would covenant with them. But he, he warns them with a word, beware. Because when that happens to you, beware that you do not think it's from the power of your hands and your mind and your efforts. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you the power to get wealth. There's principle number one. Where do you think your wealth comes from? Well, I went to school and I studied and I learned and I became very, very insightful and then I became, the, you know, I, 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 huh? That's where it came from? Well, I made wise investments and I had plenty and so I was able to invest it and that turned into more and then I gained some more and uh, it was all about that, huh? The power to make wealth comes from God. Every good and perfect gift that comes down is from God. When we lose that foundation, we begin to drift into the great snare of covetedness and greed and loving this world, which is enough to steal anyone's soul. Today, the message is a soul-saving message. I preach this knowing that some people are perishing because of materialism in this room. Do I know who? Uh-uh. No, I don't. But I know with this number of people, with six, seven hundred people sitting here and watching online, someone is perishing. And they might think they're doing okay. They might think differently than that. But I'm warning you, as God speaks, examine yourself. Put yourself up against this word of God. I don't like surprises, and I'm certainly not going to like one of the surprises of heaven. And that surprise in heaven is going to be that there's some people I'm going to look for and I will not find them because they're not going to be there. One surprise is I'm there. Second surprise is you're there. Third surprise is there's some who aren't there that we certainly thought were going to be there. Paul then, in the New Testament, writes to the Romans, they're living in a grand imperial city. There's colossal wealth, unimaginable wealth poured into Rome. But Paul was trying to get these people to realize you will lose your souls if you join in the Roman way. If you just become normative Roman citizens, you will lose your souls. Instead, you must be transformed. And he wrote these words in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, and you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Today and here, you need to renew your mind. I know many generous, beautiful Christian people in this church. I've been here 33 years. I know many people in this church that love the Lord and use their wealth and use their, their talents and use their gifts beautifully. But I know many people here in the church need a message. Just as Jesus put this into the scriptures, as the Holy Spirit instructed this to be there, we constantly need reminders. We need to remind ourselves that this isn't home. This world is not our home. We, our eyes should be fixed on a city built by God. Our eyes should be set on where he is we are going to. Because you will do one of two things. You'll either build and make treasure here or you'll set treasure there. You will not be dominated by both. Either you're going to make a treasure chest here and when God comes from your soul, you'll leave it. 
or you'll lay up treasures in heaven, and when God comes from your soul, you will go home to your treasure. It's one or the other. Today is all about that. See, the Bible speaks extensively about greed constantly, and in, in the tenth commandment of God found in Exodus twenty seventeen, he lays down a strong, strong prohibition. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, his wife, your neighbor's wife, his male servant, or your female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. He prohibits it in all forms. Anytime the flesh dominates, anytime my natural state is at work, I'm going to want something. I'm going to desire more. I'm going to even covet it. I'm going to think about how I can get it, and the desires will go to work in me. God had to lay down a law in order to, to at least let his people know that he hates this sin. And when God hates something, he hates it with a perfect hate, and he hates greed, and he hates covetedness. Many times, greed is very blatant. You get guys who put their names at the top of their buildings named after them. They want the world to know that that's them, man, that's them. Their name's up there, their name's up there. They put their corporate name on everything. It's named after them. Many people are greedy and they're blatant about it and they just keep collecting more and more and more is never enough. It's never enough. You ask those people, when do you have enough? And he said, not yet. I don't have enough yet. I haven't achieved enough. I still want more. And greed as a sin works its way into the heart and that's what it does. It just keeps plowing for more and more. But today, from God's word, we see the master teacher, Jesus Christ. No one ever taught like Christ. Even his enemies said, no one's ever taught like this. We'll see him tell a simple parable that drives home such truth. We're familiar with the teachings of Christ when it comes to what we're talking about today, is, and that is whether or not you will enter heaven. Will you enter heaven? Will you go home to a glorious home, or will you not? You see, Jesus said in, the, in uh, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, the way into heaven, it's narrow, and the gate is narrow. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter in it by are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. And those who find it, find it's a difficult life. It's a hard life. It involves suffering, which God promised to those that follow Jesus. They will suffer. He promised to us that we will have tribulation. He promised that this will be a difficult walk. And he promised that it only begins in the life of a person who will willingly lay their life down. You see, that's what makes it a narrow gate, because most people will say, I'm not interested in laying my life down. I want what I want. I want to live this life. This is the natural man. I want to drive the car. I want to be in charge. And the surrender of, for a person to be a Christian has to say, I am not worthy, and I'm going to surrender my life, and I'm going to turn from my sin and turn to God, and I want him to dominate in my life. Now, for me, that's over 40 years ago, and it made me fearful. I trembled about coming to Christ. My salvation did not come easy. I was sweating it out. I was worried. What's it going to be like for me to turn my life over to God? What is he going to do with me? But I knew in my heart I had to turn my life over. And so I worried and I fretted and finally I, I finally submitted. And by the grace of God, he caused me to be born again, a new man, and to live for new things and to live for a kingdom that's not my kingdom and to look for his kingdom. 
One of the great dangers to our souls is materialism, whether it be from prosperity or from poverty. Because I've met some people who live in poverty that are very greedy. It's amazing how the homeless will fight over who has what. Greed. Greed. And it's amazing when people have so much that they continue to fight for more. Someone in the crowd in verse 13 now, we're in Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A demanding, rude man interrupts the teacher of all teachers and instead of listening to Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit, instead of Jesus listening to the first part of chapter 12, he interrupts him and says, Someone, our teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This rude, inappropriate, demanding request. He's asking the right guy because Jesus will judge every person. He will judge the living and the dead. And his decision will determine a person's eternity. But he is not going to be a probate judge for this guy. My brother's inheriting more than me. I want him to be able, I want the equal share. Tell him to do so. He thinks he can dictate to the king of kings what he ought to do. Jesus gives him no pleasure. He will not take the bait. He will not be this man's probate judge. He does not answer his demanding request. Jesus declares a principle rather than anything else for everyone to hear, and not just particularly this man. So in verse 14, we see, man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? That's a stinging remark. <laughs> who made me your arbiter that I'm supposed to step into this? I wonder what his tone was like. Because it was obvious that Jesus saw his heart and realized what's only going on in that guy is he's worried about himself. He's worried about his monies. He's worried about his inheritance. He's being eaten up by it. He turns to the crowd in verse 15 and says to them, to everyone there, to all that were listening, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The last part of that is anti-American. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In America, it's the winner is who has the most stuff. Who can collect the most? Who can build the most? Who can have the most? How many suits do I have? How many cars do I have? How many properties do I have? What's my 401k look like? How much money do I have? How much wealth do I have? See, that's America. Get more. Get more. I'm 66, going to be 67 this year. And now those guys that help you get ready for retirement are asking me questions like this. Do you have a million dollars saved up? Because you may live another 30 years and you know you don't want to be penniless. And they put fear into us. Do you have enough money to retire? Do you have enough wealth? Have you thought about maybe investing a few more years and working until you're 85? <laughs> Chad, don't tell me you want me to work till I'm 85. I'll be, oh Lord, have mercy. But covetousness is the desire for something that I don't have, what we don't have. We need to be convinced that the world of America's culture, the economics, is working against the word of God. Here's what Jesus says. It's not about your possessions. And here's what America says. It's all about that. Your degrees, your wealth, your possessions. That's what it's all about. Don't you get it? Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
Jesus didn't come to the rich. He came to the poor. Jesus began his ministry in poverty. He was born in a manger. He didn't have anything. He lived with his parents till he was 30. He walked the earth proclaiming the good news, and he didn't have a coin when they said, who should we pay Caesar? Should we pay taxes? And he had to borrow somebody's coin because he didn't have one. And he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God's. The robes and the clothing is all that he had. Someone said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he said, you want to follow me? Well, that's funny because I don't have, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lie my head. I don't have a home. I have nothing. When he died, they divided his garments, garments and then they put him in a borrowed grave because he didn't have a grave. He lived an impoverished life. And then he says to you and me, come follow me. Come follow me. Is this the Jesus you're following? Or is it the prosperity Jesus who wants to be healthy and wealthy? Is it the Jesus that you hear on television, the media, those smiling faces that say, this is your best life, go for it. And God wants you to prosper and he wants you to have much. He wants you to have wealth. I mean, that's our God. Those people are liars, deceivers, and they're leading people to love the world. John says, don't love the world, nor the things that are in the world. You'll die. Your soul will die like this man's soul dies. Turn it off. Don't listen to them. Their faces are on the covers in the Christian bookstores. They're the most popular salesmen and saleswomen. Oh, they're handsome and, and they're well. And, and God wants health and wealth for you too. Jesus said, come follow me and you'll suffer. For everyone who follows me will suffer persecution. And everyone who follows me will know tribulation. Hey, I do a lot of funerals, and I've watched a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church suffer great things, and many of them, most of them, have done it beautifully, and they let go of this world. That team of people who just went to Indonesia reached in their pockets, you know that? And some of them took their savings out and put it down to pay their way to Indonesia. They're coming back today because they wanted to give all they had to go to a world 10,000 miles away and talk about Jesus. You know what that person's doing? Those young people, they're laying up treasures in heaven. Amen. They are laying up treasures in heaven. What are some of us doing? We're keeping in a bank account. We're holding on to it. We're holding on to it. We're holding on to it. Why? Because we're going to give it to the foolish ones beneath us. Proverbs says, you'll leave your money to a fool. They're coming back from uh, Appalachia today. They're on their way back. David's here. Some are back from Appalachia. They must have drove all night. Hallelujah. Bless you guys. Bless you guys. And what did they do? They took vacation days to go to Appalachia to teach and help homeless people. Do you get it? What are they doing when they do that? They're laying up treasures in heaven. They're not of the world. That's ridiculous. You take your vacation time and go help homeless people hundreds of miles away. For what? For the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. For his name. For his name is worthy. He's worthy to be worshipped and lifted up. What are we waiting for? What are we doing with what we have? Everything we have is his, and every blessing comes down from him. Anything I own belongs to God. I'm a steward. I just have to use it for him and use it for him. But not this guy, not the guy we're talking about. Someone has noted about our society. Tell me if you think this is true. Think with me. Someone said this, rich people are more successful than poor people. That's because their definition of success. This man was very successful. He wants to build bigger barns. He wants more and more. 
And God calls him a fool. Someone has said that wealthy people are more important than poor people. You think Jesus thinks that? You think Christ thinks that? Every person's an image bearer. Every person bears the image of Jesus Christ. We are made in his image. He doesn't value us because we have coins in our pocket. He values all mankind, but not in America. Well-to-do people are more sought after for positions because their money, status, and presumably they have wisdom. They can be wise fools. Well-off people are more believable in court than poor people. Wow. What makes that true? You think the poor Christians in the world can't be trusted? You think the ones that God has decided that they will live in poverty, though they work really, really hard in the nations around the world, you think that somehow or other they're, they're not blessed of God? You see, wealth is not a blessing, folks. It can be a curse. Why do you think they're suicidal lottery winners? What happens to these people who gain sudden wealth? Very often, their lives cascade downward. We're not to desire wealth because wealth doesn't come necessarily to be a blessing. It comes in the, very often as a curse. Pastor John Piper spoke about that to his church. I was so impressed with how he described what he believed about this. You see, but Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. We're not of this world. Peter said, we're aliens, we're strangers, we're now a royal priesthood, but we're not of this world. Our eyes are fixed on a heavenly kingdom. Our eyes are not for this world. We're not to be indulged in it and caught up in it and snared in it. Let me go on to some scriptures and just read simply some scriptures. Now, this is the words of God. Do you have ears to hear? Do you have ears to hear? Or are they just kind of on the side of your head? We've been praying, God, give them ears to hear and open their hearts to obey. Listen to these words. Matthew 6, Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew 16, 25 and 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Luke 8, 14. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Rick said, hey, once upon a time, the seed fell upon good ground, but the thorns grew up around it and choked it out. And what are those thorns? We look in Luke chapter 8, 14. And as for what fell amongst the thorns, they are those who hear the word, but they, as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What is this? Remember this? This is where the seed reached in the ground. It began to grow up. And as it was growing up, it was growing up in the company of the world and the pleasures of life and the riches of life began to draw the life from it and it killed the plant. It killed it. It brought forth no fruit whatsoever. What can kill faith? Riches, wealth, prosperity. Is it a blessing to be rich? It can be. Some of the most generous and giving people in our church that do more for the kingdom of God with their wealth are, are in our midst. I know some of the most beautiful, generous people in this church. 
They're doing amazing things, but they're not waving a flag saying, guess what I'm doing? Because you're not supposed to let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But many have understood this. Many have come to Christ in such a serious way that they are using what they have in every means to build the kingdom of God, to live for the kingdom of God, not to live for this world, not to want what it offers, but to surrender it. In Luke chapter 11, and the Lord's speaking to a Pharisee now, and you know those are the guys that really caught heck from the Lord. He said to them, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? When Jesus really put on his coach's voice, <laughs> when Jesus really spoke with authority, and anger, a holy righteousness, it was to the Pharisees. And he declared about them, you are full of greed and you love money. And he calls them fools. Fools. In 1 John, who understood, who was the, the apostle that Jesus loved and wrote this in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that he is is in the world for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is a systemic place, you guys. The prince of the power of the air controls this world of ours, and it feeds us constantly to value what it values, to esteem what it esteems. And then there's the voice of God saying, don't love the world. Don't love what's in the world. Don't love the flesh. Don't love these things. These are not for you. Come follow me. Come follow me. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 is one of the most important scriptures that I found. And I hope, you, I hope you'll listen. I hope you'll not only listen, but you'll use it as a rod of correction if necessary. Do not, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Those who desire to be rich. What if we could scan you right now and the, and the measurement is, what desires are in you? What desires reside in your heart? And what if one of them was to measure the desires you have in your heart to be rich? If that's the case, you are in grave danger because it'll eat away. You remember Scrooge. What happened to him? Ebenezer, what happened to the man? 
What happened to him was the greed worked in his heart and worked in his heart and worked in his heart until that's all he was known for was his greediness. But Charles Dickens writes a great story, a terrific story. And Scrooge gets a second chance and he's born again. And this dark character, this greedy miser of a man becomes a beautiful man, generous and kind and loving, adopting the poor, loving children, loving everyone and giving it away because he had met the king. He had met the Lord. He had realized his mistake. See, this is what the transformation is all about. We should be coming more like Jesus all the time. I look at the gray hairs and the bald folks out here and some of you guys who color your hair as well, and I think, is it true of us? Is it true of us, this generation, that we're becoming more like Jesus? Or have we blown it? Have we lived and now reached these golden years and become foolish because we've been investing in this world for this world's sake? It's never too late to start doing what's right. Start today. Begin again. Look carefully at your life. Husbands and wives, you guys need to talk about this. You need to have a real conversation. What are we doing for Christ? There's nobody in heaven that will ever say, I did too much. No one. No one's ever going to get there and say, I, I did it all. But rather, we're going to be saying, I could have done more for Christ. I could have done more for Christ. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, that you by his poverty might become rich. There he was in heaven. There he was in a perfect place. There he was in perfect holiness, in perfect purity, in perfect surroundings. Absolutely all things belong to him. And between the Trinity of God the Father and the Holy Spirit, only one thing seemed to be troubling the minds of God, the mind of God. And it was the lostness of men. And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll leave it all. I'll leave everything here. I'll surrender this, this environment. I'll surrender this existence and I will go down to the earth and live in their midst and I will be in poverty and in want and in need and I will be able by grace and by faith, I will be able to raise them up so that we can have communion together. An immeasurably wealthy God and a poverty-stricken world. Jesus comes for us. And by this act by this humility, we become rich. We gain in the riches of Christ because in Christ we have every spiritual blessing, every one of them. And some of what I'm going to say, some of you won't be able to relate to because it's going to be beyond your thinking. It'll be beyond your conceptions. That's because it is the unsearchable riches of Christ. They are unsearchable. Well, here's the real simple story. I'm going to skip down to Luke 12, 16 through 21. Here's the simple story. Jesus told this. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 16, this man had received all these blessings and now he's got an enormous harvest and now all he can think about is himself. In verse 17 and 18, he gets into I, 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 I. I can do this. I can tear down my barns. I can get more. I will have harvest. I will have more. I will have more. Charles Spurgeon said about wealth, continued worldly prosperity is a fiery trial. Now, some of you would be like Tevye and fiddle around the roof and say, Lord, bless me with that curse. Bless me. John Piper says of these things that for most people, wealth is the most often a curse rather than a blessing because it destroys the soul. What would you do if you won the lottery? I would be praying for you because it has every potential to destroy you, every potential to make a ruin of your soul. Well, this man turns inward when he sees his good harvest. In verse 19, he congratulates himself. You know, I did it. I've got a great harvest. I have more than I've ever needed. I'll build bigger barns. All he can think about is himself. He has forgotten God, and he's forgotten his neighbors. I think everyone here may have an idea. There's two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. He failed in both. He also forgot that he was mortal. This foolish guy forgot he's not in charge of his death date. Neither are you. Neither am I. None of us are. There's coming a day. The Bible says it's like a thief in the night. He'll come. He'll take you. Next week is obituaries. I get them on my phone. They'll be filled with people who didn't know they were going to be in the obituaries that week. There'll be lots of funerals where people will be going, wow, this was so unexpected. No, it's expected. Now, being rich towards God, the end of chapter 20 or verse 21 is really important. How do we be rich towards God? Because he says this is what happens to those that are rich towards themselves, but this is about we need to be rich towards God. So a couple things. Rich towards God involves our actions, such as giving and helping the needy, sharing generously with others, living an other-centered life, investing in God's kingdom, using all of our talents. This is how we invest in God. Being rich toward God involves treasuring Jesus Christ, our Savior, above any other thing. We do have a treasure. Jesus was the lost coin that the woman found, and she called all of her friends and said, come celebrate with me. Jesus was the treasure hidden in the field. The guy found this in the field. So he sold everything he had, and he bought the field so he could have that treasure. Jesus was the pearl of great price. Don't you get it? He's the pearl of great price. If you have Christ, you have everything he has. We become co-heirs with Christ. All that he has is ours in Christ. Riches that are unsearchable. 
They're unimaginable. We, we, we try. Let's try together. How about the riches of heavenly knowledge, of God and of truth? In Christ, we know the truth. He is the truth. Everyone else is a liar, but he is the truth. He's speaking the truth. We know God's will. We know his redemption plan. We know what he did in the beginning, and we know what he's going to do at the end. What a richness this is that keeps us sane. So many people are losing their minds because they have no truth. They're deceived. They don't know if there's 20 worlds. They think of matrixes, and they think of universal things, and they get lost. But there's truth here, and we know the truth. There's the riches of redeeming love through Christ and through his blood. If you're a Christian, you've been bought with a price. You've been bought. You've been ransomed. You have been bought with a price you couldn't possibly pay. He paid the price, and he bought you, and you belong to him. Your life is not your own anymore. It's his. He bought you. You are dead in Christ and alive in Christ. What redeeming love is this? He paid for us. The riches of pardoning mercy. He forgives all of our sins. Listen, I'm a great sinner. I've been a great sinner my whole life. But my sins are paid for. I could never pay for them. I could never go before a holy God. But he has given me his righteousness and taken my sin and put him on the cross. Have you realized the righteousness of Christ is yours? There's no riches that can match this. There's nothing in the world that can, can come close to this. He's given us sanctifying grace. That is, he's constantly giving us grace to change and become more like Christ and more like Christ and more like Christ. So the grandmas and grandpas out here are more like Jesus now than ever. Like John, he's becoming more like Christ and more like Christ. I see Jesus in him. I didn't used to see Jesus, but now I do. I see it in the grandparents. I see it in the transformation of some of the men in our group. I'm watching men transform. They're becoming more like Jesus Guys like David who will give up their life, give up their vacation, give up their time. Why? To serve the Lord. And he's sanctifying us and he's making us more like Jesus all the time. And then we have the rich consolation and hope to face all experiences. I do these funerals and sometimes I bury people that I loved, that I loved in life. But most of these people that I'm burying who I loved in life, I have such hope. I have such consolation, such comfort. My friend Jim is home with the Lord. He's home with the Lord. He's not in the cancer ward. He's not there anymore. He's not suffering. He's not in pain. He's home with the Lord. What consolation. Keith Green used to say, how can they live without Jesus? How can they live without God's love? I don't know. I don't know how they can live without Jesus. I don't know how they can live without this hope. But we have the assurances of eternal life. We have this richness of immortality. We live forever. Don't be deceived. This life is short. It'll soon be past. What's done for Christ, that's what's going to last. That's what's going to be worth something. That's us laying up treasures. That's us. We have the opportunity. But only for a short time do we have this opportunity to devote ourselves to that kingdom. Oh, the riches of Christ, they're amazing. All of them are unsearchable. All of them, none can be measured. Okay, you're, you, you've, you've suffered great loss. You think you can take your money and rub it on yourself? You think a big house behind you is going to comfort you when your son dies? Do you think there's comfort in anything else, like in a bottle or in the next injection? None of these things can comfort. They just steal life. Christ gives life. He gives us his life. And he shares with us these riches. If Jesus isn't treasured in your heart, you're missing it.
You're missing it. You're going to church, but you're missing the core of church. It's Christ in us. It's his life in us. That's why we're here. That's why in a moment I'm going to step away and we're going to worship him. We're just going to worship him. Who would do this? Who would leave and come for a sinner's? rebellious men like me would shake their fist at God and say, I don't want you to take my life. I want to live my own life. But he said, I still love you. And I've laid my life down for yours. I've laid my life down for yours. Come, follow me. (laughs) Well, finally, today's scripture is important. It's real important. Materialism is a deadly sinful thing. It can be a deadly flu. They call it affluenza. (laughs) Affluenza. The affluent get it and they die of it. Right? Beware. The gospel that we're preaching here is not calling you guys to a picnic. We're calling you to follow Christ and pick up your cross. If that's not the gospel you want, I'm sorry. That's Jesus' gospel. Pick up your cross and follow me, he says. This is not your best life now. If what you desire is your best life now, you won't get heaven. You will not be there. You'll be one of the MIAs, missing in action. I pray that won't be the case with any of you that I love. I pray that I won't be able to, (laughs) I won't experience that. That I won't go looking for you. And find that you're not there. Let's pray that we're all there, huh? Let's give ourselves again to the Lord. God bless you.